You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Broadcasting from the Blanchestan Center. This is Phoenix FM. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to pitch battle research. According to the Nerd Index, you should be upside down in a junior high toilet around the clock. This is the day that won the battle. Well, good luck! Target is in, target is Never miss communication. My name is Foxy. The balls are in there. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Nerd to Know Basis Show, airing on Phoenix 92.5 FM and Spotify and all those other wonderful places on the internet. I am Kian, and with me this week is... It's Kev! Hi! Hi! Uh, the audience doesn't get the benefit of you adjusting your microphone, but... I am uh... here! <laughs> but how are you doing? And just to date this very quickly, happy Eurovision week. Uh, yes, I'm watching the Eurovision. I am. I am. Um, as I was explaining to Kian, my family now, considering I am living now across county lines, um, we're spread <laughs> so far and wide that we have to combine all the events that we had as close together into mm. one night. So I will be celebrating the Eurovision with my birthday. <laughs> so I suppose I, I'll I be. I hope you like jaunty Croatian non music. Before to you... perform by bearded folks with rockets. Well, I mean, you know how I feel about bearded folks. This is true. Actually, now you now say it, this is true. There hasn't been a Viking representation yet, but I'm but I trusted to turn up in the second semi. Well, I mean, like we can all I mean, you gotta keep an eye out on the Swedes. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Swedes have gone through. They've got a, a woman under a box. <laughs> I mean, it's a shoe in then, isn't it, right? It's the most sedate of the offerings I've seen so far. <laughs> sedate for Eurovision entry. <laughs> That's appalling. That is that is appalling, carry on. Don't worry, everything else is, is carrying the flag. Um, but uh, yes, so we'll probably cover that next week because we are recording this on a Wednesday, so we don't even know what happens in the second semi. But uh, we are... Go on. Y- yeah, no, we're we're living in a different world right now. We're pre Eurovision and pre pre Zelda Theater of the Kingdom. When oh. this goes out, I will be a different man huddled in a huddled in a blanket. We just won't see you again. No, no, you won't. <laughs> like, listen, you you might have a kid on the way. You you'll hear from me less. Yeah, no, I believe that. I haven't gotten to the <laughs> Switch ever since my kid learned how to play it. And so. it's gonna be a second one. I know we're gonna have to double up, but anyway. That is an anecdote for the future. So we are going to cover the some elements of the writer's strike. But before we do that, we'd start with something light. And I believe that... Something something that definitely did have paid writers involved. I can guarantee yes. you that. A cinematic masterpiece. So I watched... all know and love. 
So, uh, you know, people have been talking about this Mario movie lately. So I thought, mm. yeah, I'll watch one. Uh, mine was different. <laughs> mine, mine was different. I decided to watch the 1993 one with uh, Bob Hoskins. <laughs> I've never seen this one. When you queued me up for that, I thought it was going to be like a trans morphers asylum situation. <laughs> like, nope. like you went to the wrong nope. Mario movie in the cinema. <laughs> no, no, this was, this was a choice. Cause the, the, you know, the new one isn't like on, you know, Netflix or whatever yet. Uh, but yeah. this one is on prime. So I can watch well, it. I've never seen head. this. So take me, take me on a journey. Well, what oh, is a the journey? Plus? A journey is right. Because I tell you, if this did not have the name Mario on it, it has nothing to do with Mario. <laughs> Let's okay. See. Oh God. Okay. I'll actually, you know, I'll start with the beginning because the opening scene of this movie sets a tone that is infinitely bonkers. And the movie <laughs> just continues on that trajectory because it starts off with somebody describing with, with a monologue over nature footage about the age of dinosaurs. And how they were devastated by the meteor. Smash cut to a woman running through the rain to leave a basket on a church door. Runs back, climbs into the sewers. Nuns open the door, pick up the basket. What do you think is in the basket, Ian? If your answer is is an egg. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say it's a me, Mario. It's no, it's it's an egg. Right. They bring it inside. The egg starts hatching. What, what do you think comes out of an egg? Is it Mario? It's a human baby. What? Title a card. Human, <laughs> a human baby comes I, out of an egg. Okay, weirdly baby. enough, I know I, I, I don't want to interrupt you mid-flow, but this is giving me flashbacks to both the second Star Fox game or the one where they all where dinosaurs just turn up in it. Uh, and uh, the one like Yoshi's Island when Mario is a baby on the Yoshi's back. But I'm assuming... This predates both of those things. You know what? 93. 93, might, I'd I, say the, the the Star Fox thing was GameCube. So I'd say so. Yeah. I'd like as far, you know what? You might have a point on Yoshi's Island. They might have actually, because t- I think it's around Super Mario World was this okay. kind of thing. I don't know the timeline on Yoshi's Island, but they might have actually taken a few cues from that. But yeah, right. the entire premise of this is that uh, the like the world of Mario, quote unquote, uh, is a dystopic cyberpunk underground Manhattan <laughs> run by dinosaur people. Uh, right. And, oh, God. Let me. Okay. So the cast in this is nuts. Now, f- first stars, Bob, as I mentioned, Bob Hoskins plays Mario, which on paper, not a bad fit. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's got a kind of a good schlubby vibe to him. Like, you know, he, he's, he's, a- he's Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit, isn't he? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Which, now, he's enjoyable. He's fun in it. Notoriously, he was drunk the entire recording because he hated the whole process. <laughs> ah! Uh, so knowing that, you can see it. But otherwise, I think it's good. Uh, and now to pair with the Mario, of course, we have his twin brother, Luigi. Who, of course, they cast as a young John Leguizamo. <laughs> Okay, I don't you know, really know John Leguizamo, I'm afraid. Did, oh, he's been in a bunch of... Did you watch the menu lately? No. I didn't we only talk about it there? The oh, other, wait, the I menu! Think, 
The menu. Oh, sorry, yes. I thought that was. I thought you said like menu or something like that. No, who, no. Who was he? Oh, he was the celebrity guy. He was. The menu. He was the oh, washed yeah, up celebrity. Good. Yes. Yeah. 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 I know his name. Yeah. Like you know, I just couldn't name three of the three projects he's most famous for off the top of my head. Yeah. 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 But yeah, as you know, you know. Uh, Wait, I'm getting true. They're twins. Yeah. No, a fully a Hispanic man, maybe twenty years younger than him. His brother. I mean, now did both the brothers come out of eggs? No, so that's that's the thing. These are not the Mario brothers did not come out of eggs. And they are oh, okay. they are the Mario brothers because it is in this movie that they do confirm that their names are Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. I did hear this, and I that led me to assume that Mario was Luigi's dad or something. Nope. Brothers. <laughs> Some someone in Brooklyn. With the surname with the surname Mario, named their kid Mario. Mario Mario. Not kid right. grew up to be a master plumber. But no, cut out of the egg, in fact, on this church right. was Daisy. Oh just to, make, just to take a swing out of there. Yeah, they decided the princess in this movie was gonna be Daisy. For some reason. Oh, uh, how retro. But less yeah, the, less retro then, I suspect, but still. But yeah, the entire like the whole crux of the movie is that. Uh, King Koopa, who is fully just a human Dennis Hopper, right? Kidnaps Daisy and brings her underground to uh, to to Koopa Land, which again is a city underground, underground, under New York. That right. is an underground dystopic dinosaur Manhattan, and it's just. So can I just interrupt you there? Is Dennis Hopper Bowser then? Yes. King, in everything they call him, they never call him Bowser, but yeah, no, he's he's King Koopa. Right. Okay, okay. And yeah, like it's as I said, by all intents and purposes, this has nothing to do with Mario, <laughs> but is a weird, wild, like campy sci-fi comedy movie. Oh, like, it's a comedy. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a screwball comedy. Okay, uh, I didn't know that. But it, like in that kind of like weird early nineties, late eighties way. Okay, so like, is like I've seen photos of this film, like still images and stuff. Hmm. And from what I remember, like compared to the Mario, like kind of lots of greens and blues and green pipes and that kind of stuff, it looks quite grungy, doesn't it? Yes, but it's it's dark and kind of gross. But I think it's it's going for that nineties edgy kind of gross, where. Right. Like there's a whole subplot where like because it's because of like to try and link things to the mushroom kingdom where there's just kind of yeah. mushrooms growing everywhere. Right. So but like at the same time, you know, people are wearing very kind of like back to the futury sci like the futury version, like sci-fi clothes. And like because right, kind of, like, whenever I see it, I think of like Demolition Man. Like, you know. Yeah, you know what? That Demolition Man's yeah. not a bad kind of like point to kind of not a bad point of reference. It's very much mm. that. But if it was like a weird, supposed to be a family movie, it's it's so strange. Well, actually, like, that was going to be my next question. Like, uh, obviously, like back then, like, and you see it with superhero movies in the nineties as well. The attitude wasn't let's adapt this thing faithfully. It was let's make a movie, and we're just going to take what we like and make whatever movie we want. So, like, with that in mind. Who's this movie for? Is it for gamer people? Is it for teenagers? Is it for families? Is it for everyone? Is it for no one? Like what? You know what? No, I like, think I think it is for, for. 
I like I can't say who it was built for back when. Like right. there is there is subtle like kind of references to the game, but it's so weirdly out of sync. Like it is for everyone and no one now. Right. It is, it is it's a weird curiosity at this point. Um like I, I I don't have the details in front of me, but the story of how this movie was made is also kind of bonkers. Okay. Uh, I think the, lo- the long short of it is that like at the time the likes of like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter had gotten movie adaptations to differing. The quality. Street Fighter movie isn't bad though, actually, in fairness. I've only so, seen bits and pieces yeah. of Mortal Kombat, but I know Street Fighter is pretty decent. Yeah. So like Nintendo had sort of like dipped their toes in the water of thinking, well, maybe we should get a movie. Yeah, 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 had been kind of putting putting the feelers out to some of the major studios like Universal Paramount and that. Uh, but I don't have the name of the company in front of me, but a very unknown company, uh, the head of a the head of of a very very small Hollywood production company, got on a plane straight to the uh, to the Nintendo of Japan headquarters, sat down <laughs> with the CEO of Nintendo, and said, "Let me make this movie." Zio Turgeon right. was like, "I've got people." Like I've got offer, I've got offers from Sony and Paramount and Universal. What makes? Why shouldn't I give it to them? And he looks the CEO dead in the eye and was like, "Because I'm standing right here." <laughs> and apparently the if gumption helps, was it enough. Was, it was, it was produced and distributed by Buena Vista Pictures through Hollywood Pictures, with a, a husband and wife directing team. Yeah, like okay. very, like shockingly, like backdoor production yeah like very unknown people just now as well like video games were big but they weren't the massive industry they are today right so i think i think like people the people making video game movies were underground cult makers at this point yes yes like nintendo was the biggest name in the game but they were still a retro company like they were they were still like a small I don't think like they still like weren't you know no Hollywood it's a bit big. like making like a Tamagotchi movie it wasn't yeah it wasn't a lifestyle at that point it was a it was a curiosity like yeah like it like you know people were still getting beaten up for being called nerds like it was it was a niche yeah exactly uh, uh I I you know what I thought I'd thumb through the because I just went to Wikipedia I thought I'd thumb through like the production history to kind of help you out but it's 12 long paragraphs long before you get to casting. Um, like, I, I'm this just... Is, this is a documentary in and of itself, but I know that at least four different writing teams have come and gone. Yeah, this... like, I think that people were cycling in and out of this movie yeah. constantly. Uh, I, like, I won't get into it now. It's not, like, I don't have enough research in front of me. Perhaps a topic for another day, yeah. but I thoroughly actually recommend uh, my point of reference on it is uh, a podcast I really enjoy called Wizard and the Bruiser. Right. Uh, their format is taking uh, is every week picking a pop culture topic and just kind of right. doing a full deep dive on it. They did a whole episode on the production of this movie, fully like two hour podcast. Well, well worth a rec. Like if you're if you're interested, that's where I go to get my information on it. Uh, okay. But, or you can watch the movie because it's about a hundred minutes and it's on Amazon Prime. And I can <laughs> listen. You might you might have already seen one Super Mario movie this year. I can guarantee you the second one you see will be nothing like it. 
Well, that's is it because like illuminations, I think people are hard on illuminations. I quite like them. Uh, mm. like, I don't love them, but like I think they're pretty good. Uh, and they're good at making a good crowd pleaser film. But like it's like it's not the new Super Mario movie isn't a hugely risky thing. This feels like the polar opposite to the 1993, where it was like all risk in every single aspect of its production. Like it's and actually just I suppose before we kind of leave it there, did you actually enjoy it? I think I did. Like it's right. you know, because I'm looking here, you know, it's not not a score above like five out of ten. Like it is right. it is a panned movie, and I can see that it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. It is right. it is weird, it is rote, it is strange. I still enjoyed it. <laughs> Like, if you are looking for something campy and culty and sci-fi and just bizarre enough to just scratch that itch, I recommend the Mario movie. If for nothing else is a curiosity, considering the, the, the new one is in the news. Okay. All right. Well, from one kind of... No, you know, I've got no good segue. Let's just talk <laughs> about the writer's strike. <laughs> <laughs> Usually again. that's my I'm I'm fairly good at them, but like nah. But this is a hard left. Again, you know, we're we're living in an age now where where writers aren't going to be producing a lot of stuff. This yeah. movie definitely maybe, did maybe, have writers. Maybe once upon a time we could have had a writer to come up with some clever like segue, but not but now we're not, is not we're not, the time. We're not in that industry no more. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, okay, so as... I must confess, I did so I did a little bit of research for this. Uh but I'm still a little bit in the dark about the broad strokes. I'm very familiar with the ins and outs of the previous strike. But still, I think you might have prompted this. So, Kev, what kind of give us the basic rundown of what's happening in the with the writer's strike in America? Well, yeah, the bottom line is that the Writers Guild of America uh, have been in talks with all the major production companies in Hollywood for a litany of reasons. You know, better better pay. Uh, better pay, better uh, residual royalties from streaming and things about protect and, and even some things covering protection from uh, mm. AI generated scripts. Uh, massive talks have been going on back and forth. And as of, I believe, May the 2nd, uh, the Writers Guild of America have decided to fully go on strike. And any, any, so any writers for TV and film production, uh, as part of the Writers Guild of America, so this is a pretty localized in America situation. Uh, writing, right. ha- writing and production has ceased across the board, and there has been picket lines nigh constantly outside of all the production companies. Really? Uh, oh yeah. I, I must no, this- confess, even as someone who's looking into this, I haven't seen this. You know, uh, I follow a lot of people on Twitter that have been kind of. Oh, I'm not on Twitter, yeah. right? Yeah, like that's that's kind of a lot. Of, you're getting a lot of boots of the ground stuff there. Uh, but yeah, that's like what's particularly interesting. This is not the first strike, nor is it the first strike in recent memory. This, yeah. like, it is it is shocking how much this is mirroring the exact same Writers Guild of America strike across 2007, 2008, which... Yes, because, uh, like, I mean, I, I would loosely consider myself a writer. I'm in theatre and not television, but, like, I understand that, like, it's... Especially like it's fascinating because I sometimes go and do talks in colleges and stuff and like on open days 
And I will give like an hour and a half workshop on how to get into theater writing and that kind of stuff. And usually I will be on after someone who will have done the same, but for TV writing. And more often than not, and I say this with many friends who work in television, my job is to lift the mood because writing for television is incredibly thankless and interpersonal. It's a really tough job because like it's incredibly tough deadlines, incredibly hard to find work. And especially if you're working for like a soap or something, essentially you're kind of writing a shopping list of other people's ideas to a deadline. Like I was rereading a book on the writing of Sherlock and one of the writers on it said something very profound, which is that TV scripts are never finished. They're just shot, you know? So it's an incredibly tough job to do. And like, I fully sympathize with writers who are like now in the streaming age, like, being completely burned out and not even getting like residuals. Like I was looking into anecdotes on this and like, I think the residuals thing must favor the actors rather than the writers because the, one of the writers of Jane the Virgin, like put up a photo of herself with her two residual checks. And the one was for one cent and one was for two cents. It's like nothing. So like writers yeah. in, in TV are working harder than ever there's more shows than ever there and probably being paid less. So it is it is important stuff that needs to happen. But at the same time, loads of my favorite shows were tanked back in 2007. Like, I mean, what was your memory of like the 2007 thing? I don't think I have a great. I think I, I've only heard about a lot of this in hindsight. I don't think I was plugged into a lot of what was going on at right. the time. Like I at the point, like because I know the big hitters were the likes of like Lost and Heroes. Um, yes, I've got I've got it in front of me here, yeah. which is if you don't want me couldn't cross you, sorry. Uh, but hmm. yes, Heroes was one of the big casualties because midway through their second season, they were hit by the writer's strike and just stopped. They stopped their ongoing plot line and never really recovered ever. I don't know if that's just because they lost momentum or because the writers from that just never came back. But certainly that was a big one. Uh, my wife swears by Prison Break. That was a f- fantastic first season. Rider Strike hits, never gets strong again. Uh, Desperate Housewives, I've, you could make a case for as well. That was again really good. Rider Strike happens. Like, now, come, some of this could be coincidental. I've heard people say the same thing about well, The Office and Family Guy and Lost. And I stuff. mean, like, it's, but, it, again, it's a lot of a complicated issue because yeah. the other thing that's cropping up that a lot of people are pointing out is, you know, there was a massive strike and mo- and quite the majority of writers had stopped. There were still people writing yes. wrongly and against the strike. So, you know, you might've still ended up with some quality writing going out. A thousand monkeys writing Shakespeare, you know? Yes, but purely accidentally, like, because like, I don't blame, I wouldn't personally hold it against a writer who like, you know, continued to work during the strike because like, it is a kind of have and have nots thing. Like it's, I'm sure because like same as with actors, there there are screenwriters who are famous and get paid loads and all that kind of stuff. And then there's loads of people who are just trying to scrape by. And if there's suddenly like, you know, someone came up to me and went, you get to be the runner of Doctor Who. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, See, especially, it's, it's, especially if I need to pay rent. That's so that's the complex thing. It is yeah. a shame when people are forced into this. Yeah. But like the the crux of the issue is that it's it's that 
this halting of production is showing how important these people are to the production. Yes. And having people come in does undermine that. Mm. Um, and still, I'm probably it's that like the production companies, they see we can find, we can find cheaper labor than you. Mm. And they don't care the quality of the products. It's just getting made. Well, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, it's kind of short-term gains, long-term losses, because especially in America, like in here and in the UK, I think we're generally a bit better for, at least start with big names, maybe, we're better at kind of protecting the rights of creators. Again, to reference Sherlock, like, you know, that is a writer-led thing. Derry Girls is a writer-led thing. Channel 4 is very good for protecting the, for propping up writers in general. Like in America, yeah, okay, no. it's incredibly faceless. The yeah. writers on, especially on the big shows, you know. Yeah, the UK might be pretty good about it. Are you telling me that anybody actually writes for TV here? Because I find that hard to believe. <laughs> the only people I know who write for TV here usually write for Fair City. Even being honest, <laughs> that's actually that's that's a totally good point. I think <laughs> if you're in TV production, I'd say there's a good chance you've cycled through. Nothing against it. It's they writing for soaps is the hardest job in the world. And I've seen people who've worked on the likes of, say, Home and Away and stuff and moved on to like do really good, substantial work. And they've done it because they have created work in the most stressful, rigorous circumstances and they can do literally anything. Oh, you know, those those productions are less are less creative productions and more just institutions at that point. Um, yes, I was I was talking to someone, I won't name them, who was like a story runner for Fair City. And she said that like working on a soap is like there's a monster and it's always hungry and you just have to keep feeding it. And <laughs> what you feed it is scripts <laughs> like wow. it's just get them made, get them made again. Nothing against Fair City. Uh, like it's just the nature of soaps. You do five episodes of something a week. It's just going to happen, especially if you don't take breaks. But one thing I want to circle around to in looking into this was I think the streaming model is actually a huge ingredient in this strike in particular because... Oh, definitely. Because the way, from what I understand, and again, like, this is only the, the what was available to me, I appreciate that trusting sources during a writer's strike is a bit like being up the creek without a paddle. But however, it's basically that, like, television has a very kind of traditional way of, of treating its residuals. You know, everyone gets paid so much. And then depending on the replayability, especially with like a comedy show that gets run over and over again, you'll get residuals based on how many times a show gets commissioned to rerun, which makes sense. You know, you play an episode of Friends five times a day, that's going to affect residuals in the long run. The problem with streaming is one, there was about 700 running shows last year, something like that. Not 700 episodes, 700 shows. Yep. And streaming doesn't account for how many times a show will get rewatched or something like that. So, yeah. like, I mean, obviously there are numbers, but we don't know them. We aren't given them. And so you have this problem where, again, to go back to the Jane the Virgin example, something is technically running all the time. But we don't know how often they're being watched. And then you add into that the fact that actors are being prioritized for residuals over writers. So that is like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. And suddenly you have writers writing more than ever 
for much much less money and representation i mean is there anything i'm missing there like you know no i like it's in, and on top and like to kind of add on to that an issue that tv and you know music is having a lot of media in like the modern digital age is having is just the sheer commodification of it yes um, where you know i can listen to like between even just spotify and netflix i can listen to any song i want at any given moment while watching any TV show that Netflix has in its thousands vast library for what 20 quid a month? Yeah. Like the the like and it's and like I I've argued this point. It's it's kind of a race to the bottom at that point mm. because we've now lived in an age of convenience to that point mm. where to charge more like feels insulting because at that point you're racing against piracy. Yes. convenience is king in this day and age but i noticed that it is unsustainable to continue like paying everybody their dues while also getting something for so cheap that is true but like it's it's also interesting because off the air we were talking about how the big ones affected in the previous strike were talk shows weren't they yeah. And we we're talking about how, like, kind of like it's like, you know, TV, it's stressful and all that kind of stuff. But you probably have at least a, maybe a week or two to write something with the likes of, say, a Stephen Colbert or something. It's like you read the headlines either last night or that morning and you have to do like 15, write 15 minutes of material and get it ready to go out at like five o'clock like it's it's a ridiculous turnaround and yeah i think no, like i that's... think a factor concerning covid and the strike actually is that last time i think everything just kind of limped on mm. or like got worse in general this time around we've just had a year of things just turning off yeah and now i think especially where the american talk shows are concerned people realize the option of just stopping is a perfectly valid one which well, I don't know the, if it means more shows will stop and then come back with greater quality or if we're going to get something similar, but it's a difference compared to last time. I mean, like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you know, well, we've already, we've already actually got confirmation that all of the major late night shows, Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel, Seth Meyers, they yeah, all yeah. ceased production. Yeah. Seth Meyers actually not- at least had the decency to say it. Which I was, that was the first time I heard about the writer's strike from him. So, so good on him for saying that, you know? That's it. A few have come out. I like, I've heard a lot of pushback on some. Like, I think Myers and, yeah, definitely Myers off the top of my head has got a right to say, no, he is standing in solidarity. He is doing this Mm. and he is making sure like the rest of his staff are all being compensated properly while this is all going on. Yeah. Um, Because I know Fallon, when they found out that Fallon was getting, was, was ceasing production. Uh, he was notably ab- Fallon himself was notably absent from the call, oh. and has made no hasn't made really any assurances to his staff. Okay. Um, but like that's so it's, so it's a, it's 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 a striking comparison to how it was because clips have actually been surfacing of what these shows were like back in two thousand and seven, and it's a clip circling of obviously he's not producing now, but Conan O'Brien's show back at the yeah. time, um, who. Like continued airing the show, but aired it in solidarity with his writers, and just basically ran an improv show. Okay, the entire time, like the rest of his staff were on, and it was basically 
that like there's a there's a notorious skit of him spending the time to see how long see if he could break the record of how long he could have his wedding ring spin on the desk <laughs> so basically he was demonstrating what an absence of writers yeah kind of like you know there's there's a there's a moment where he does it he finds out he doesn't beat the time and somebody in the crowd goes do it again he's like okay let's not be in a hurry <laughs> I think we've got all the time. <laughs> but yeah, excellent. no, I, we've, we've already heard. Um, oh, I don't have a list. I, cause I, we've already heard now there's a handful of shows that have already, there's a handful of like big product TV productions that have already said, no, we're not continuing until the strike has ended. Uh, I think one of the big ones, the Duffer brothers have an stranger things season five. That production has halted. They, okay. They are not continuing without their writers. Fair enough. Um, I believe George R. R. Martin has obviously come out, you know, as a writer, mm. stands in solidarity. He's actually, I recommend his blog uh, as like, because he he did a lot of TV writing production in the early 80s, 90s, which was a fully different world to how it is now. And so that oh, was yeah. A, that he was did the, the Ron Perlman. Um, was he did the Beauty and the Beast or something? He did some kind yes. of Ron Perlman thing. Yeah. And yeah. he did the, the reboot of the Twilight Zone. Uh, he was oh. a writer of that. Uh, okay. like that's, he, he had a very interesting insight into it where writing back then, you wrote the scripts. You He was at all the table reads. He was right. on set. He was doing notes. Uh, like he was like, as a, even though like he was a low level script writer, mm. he still followed the production throughout. Yeah. And he explained how that is not the case today because another major thing that this strike is looking to eliminate are these are what's called mini rooms, which is essentially that they hide they get all the staff writers together in a room for a set amount like a deadlocked set amount of time. Yeah, to write the scripts and that's it. Writers are not on set. Writers are not involved for the rest of the production. Um. So like yeah, that's that's. So, like, I'm, I'm a bit confused. Is that to limit the involvement of writers? Or... No, to, no, to free up because free up. Okay, so that's that's yeah. The mini rooms are the current state of a lot of like big production writings, right? Uh, where writers are not allowed. Where not where writers aren't on set, right? Um, and yeah, like that's because it's a lot of writers are explaining that they need. You know, the show isn't done. I think you said it earlier. The show isn't done until the show isn't finished being written until the film is captured. Yeah, yeah. And even then you've got like editing or like if if an actor is sick that day or all that kind of stuff, you know. Exactly. Or they like come, um, come up with something on the fly, that kind of stuff, you know. So a lot of let me see. So he has there's a handful of his other stories. Um he's been pitching pilots on some of his older sci-fi works. Mm. Uh, a lot of which have been picked up on smaller broadcast networks a lot of his stuff has been halted a lot of that pre-production a lot of things have been halted with the exception of house of the dragon season two where allegedly all the scripts have been finished well see i think i I think you're gonna see a pretty marked difference though in quality that's that's the thing time will tell because it's really interesting the reaction like battlestar galactica was the remake back in the 2000s was hit by the writer's strike, but their decision was just to stop on a cliffhanger and pot- at the middle way through season four and potentially never resolve it. 
rather than doing the hero's model of just limping on with no notion of what to do. Like, you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting. We, we're not going to really feel the effects of this for a year or two, I suspect, you know? And that's the other question because, and then the, the other question obviously is how long is this going to go on? Right. Because the last strike went on for a hundred days. Right. And there's been no sign of any give or take in terms of the production heads, even though they've already accounted losing, making a loss on this strike already. Well, this is the thing, though, because like I said, 700 shows, like it could be a long time before you hit up against, you know, a lack of content, frankly. You know, I mean, even with the with the pandemic, like there were lots of films done. They just didn't release them because they wanted the audiences back. You know, like like it's not hit a button and the TV machine stops. Yeah. Like it, it could be if this ran on for a year, you wouldn't feel the effects for a while, you know? No, no. Um, and obviously, as I as we I want to kind of keep making sure because this. Listen, this I'm, I'm, I'm also getting a lot of this from Twitter, which, of course, as we all know, Twitter lacks any nuance. <laughs> Uh, it is also worth remembering that this is strictly an American situation. Yes. Situation. So if you consume a lot of media, predominantly from like you know the UK, Japan, mm. India, none of that's going to be affected. Right. So worth keeping in mind. Uh, which I suppose, while while I think I can see an easy segue out of here, uh, while we are talking about media from Japan. <laughs> When strike's over, you can hire me as a writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I only today uh, caught up with the latest season of My Hero Academia. I'm so glad that I get to talk to you about Hero Academia because I think I tried to bring it up on this show once before. And, like, when I tried to tell Dara and Bryn about it, they kind of responded to me the same way I like when I tried to describe the Cimmerillion to my parents. It's kind of like, <laughs> ah, cool. So well done, you. <laughs> but no, no, here, Academia, superhero school, like the toast of the anime world for the past few years. I know you were ahead on the manga. Uh, I am, apart from the spin off stuff, I am strictly with the TV show. I've been dying to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, so, oh, like, uh, if you, you... Know a, if you want to know a fun fact, uh, yeah. because of, you know, COVID and printing, uh, the printing halt over the past couple of years and probably translator, mm. uh, like stalls, uh, I, I tip, I'd like, I like to collect the Hero Academia volumes and I've been reading that way. Right. Uh, in terms of the release schedule of the volumes, uh, that the end of this season is the last thing I've read. Ah, okay. I, I know so you're, nothing you're, else. you're caught up to me, as it were. Yeah. Okay. For now, the next volume is out next month, so yeah. I will know more soon. But, Wonderful. Yeah, no. Well, that's a good opportunity to like. I'll very briefly. I don't want to spoil my Hero Academia, obviously. No. But for anyone who might be listening and is happy to kind of hear the gist of this, it's basically a world of like superheroes like were people born with superpowers and 
superheroes are kind of a job, an institutional government job, but also a celebrity type thing. And it follows the story of these kids who are going through the most prestigious superhero school. And as that's been building up, the kind of figure of peace and justice, All Might, has sort of dipped out of the limelight. And the villains have been ramping up for a big attack on the status quo. And that's kind of five seasons very vaguely described without giving away too, too much, I hope. And that's yeah, no, I think kind you've of teases up for this season. Yeah. Like. So yeah, the like the the with the with the latest season, the latest season is while it's not the end of the series, it is a major climax. Yes. Um, like the of, of a 26 episode season, the first 13 episodes are following one back-to-back battle scene. It is the Empire Strikes Back moment, going. Yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and I've got to say, I like I I am actually I am thrown because I you know, I've been a fan of Hero Academia now for a good few years. Mm. Like, I got into it when I was in college, when about the time the first season came out. Mm. Um, and, like, I, I, you know, before this season came out, I was kind of waning on it. I, I thought, I, I hadn't been reading it in a while. Mm. The, the last season, which was just kind of a lot of setup, and it kind of felt a bit spinning wheels. I was like, yeah, you know, was this show even as good as I remember it being? This season, a shoot all those. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that because um, my my wife, who I've watched the whole thing with, she tuned out about halfway through because it was too miserable for her. I don't mind miserable, but like it definitely felt like I've not seen Dragon Ball Z, but I know it's legendary about Dragon Ball Z that the fights will go on for like 30 episodes and that kind of stuff. And I got the sense that like... Uh, there were lots of like incidents happening, but there was something off about the flow. It kind of felt like it wasn't moving, even though like big dramatic things were happening. Do you get what I mean? Like there's a little something bit. off about the pacing of this season. A little bit, but I think they might, I still actually think they did it better than I thought they were going to. Okay. Because again, speaking as somebody who's been reading it, that fight scene, that first half, is a is two and a half volumes right okay i didn't like, know that it is i like i think the entire point is that it is meant to have felt dragged out like right how to talk about it without do you know what we're uh, actually, okay we're, i'll help you out there run, so we'll, basically what I'll say is we're yeah. running we're actually kind of running not too far from the end of our recording uh, right so I'm, I'm i'm happy to put a big old spoiler warning on this uh Okay. If if you have enjoyed listening to us, please go check us out on all of our socials. Check out our Patreon. Check out our website, nerdnomedia.com. If you have an interesting here academia, don't listen to this because we're going to be, I think we're going to talk about all of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you don't care about some anime nonsense, stick around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the, the entire point is that it like it is dragged out because everyone is getting pushed to their limits by right. the end of that like sequence everyone's a limp bag of wet noodles like right truly like and people have been like people like you know genist have been jumping in from like the the 11th hour and people yeah. are just falling apart deku's missing half like all of us mm. deku was propelling himself by the end of that fight with his mouth <laughs> 
See, I take your point on that, but I, out of curiosity, I went back to the first season of Attack on Titan just to kind of get a sense of like, is it that the show is succeeding at what it's doing and I'm worn out because they're worn out? Or is there something about this that's a bit funky? And just an experiment, because I remember the first season of Attack on Titan is very much like a siege type movie. Yeah. And I was like, no, hang on. This this Attack on Titan is still doing this, but better. It's, it's I, you know what? I think it's that I was kind of hyped for this season. And maybe that was a problem. But it felt like the first stretch was following characters that weren't kind of hugely central to the plot. Like the, that bunny character that everyone seems to love kind of turns up out of nowhere. And then a character dies who I don't remember. He's going to create blocks. Ah. And it kind of feels like it keeps like, it doesn't feel like there's a focus initially. Mm. And then there's like an episode on like the electric guy. And like, obviously there's lots of stuff with twice. And that was heartbreaking. Um, But it kind of just felt, I get the war thing, but it kind of felt a little bit unfocused in terms of its stakes and kind of everything that was going on. And it didn't really crystallize until the big Dobby reveal. So it kind of just felt like lots of random sort of points of view, but it didn't feel like it was heading in a one concise direction, if you get what I mean. I think I get you, yeah. Like, it seems like it was really, it feels like they were really kind of like propping a lot of things up. Um to to build a sense of stakes and scale yeah like i mean in the season right before this there was that lovely arc where i understand you told me they moved around where it is in the chronology Mm. there was that lovely arc where it was our familiar group of villains versus a new group of villains and you had very clear stakes if they win they become top of the tree and every and even though there was like you know a twice episode here who's that character who like drinks blood what's her name Oh, it, I'm blanking on it at the moment. The, yeah. the, the Japanese the, kind of hard girl. Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like there was an episode about her backstory, but it all felt like it was all flowing in one organic direction. It kind of felt like it was lots of little vignettes, but it didn't all kind of add together. And then when something dramatic did happen, you were kind of like, what? Like, like doesn't uh, see even the names are falling out of my head now. Uh, doesn't the teacher lose a leg? Yeah, Aizawa. and that just kind of happens, and no one comments on it. Like, I think do you know what I I might be. I think I might be looking at this from a sense of rose of uh, like a little bit of rose tinted glasses. Okay, okay. Aside the fact that I just watched it, so I'm kind of coming down from that. So you're still on the high, yeah, yeah. a little bit. But also, I think like my first experience with this was. A- <laughs> just to fully put on my well I read the manga glasses no no it's what you're here for but I know I genuinely think there's something to be said about it because like it it is as I said it is a long stretch of even the manga like it's it's a significant part of like two and a bit volumes um but the thing about reading it the difference between reading it and watching something is reading it you read it at that at your own pace you you can choose right. to turn those pages um and also the because to to fill out the like the 22 23 minute episode time mm. they definitely kind of add padding here and there not not a that, lot that was a big issue yeah yeah but enough that it becomes noticeable when you know that it's not supposed to be there yeah um, like so, like i like maybe it could have been the way i watched it because i like watching the dub 
So yeah. I would wait for like batches of five episodes to be ready. And then we'd like book an evening off and we'd get my kids to bed early and we'd be like, right, let's see what happens. And even five after five episodes, we're kind of like, we're still kind of in this room. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it could, yeah. that could have been, that could have been our fault in that. No, respect. I think you're right. And I think it's, it's, you know, the weird thing is it's an issue that the production of Hero Academia was praised for back when it started coming out. Right. Uh, was it seasonal? Was it uh, turned to seasonal style anime mm. where, you know, it would make a 13 to 26 episode production run, take a break and then continue a production another year from now. Yeah, and, it does. It, to try and every stop does feel like two big story arcs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and it was, I was doing that to stop the problems that the likes of One Piece and Naruto had, where yeah. a non-stop continuous production would keep catching up to the source material, which would necessitate yeah. instead of taking a break that could shoot, lo- that could uh, crash ratings, mm. having filler uh, original content that was always low quality and couldn't have any stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just jammed in the middle. So it's weird that a show that had that is doing this to cut out that filler has to still add padding. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I get that, like, because you mentioned this last season as well. I get that they're having to work their scripts mm-hmm. magic to make this story fit a 26 episode thing. And I do get that. And making this as long as it is, is the best way to do it. But it still felt like very big moments like the Dabby reveal, like the twice thing, were kind of getting lost in the way it was structured. Yeah. Like it felt like, okay, we need a break here and it would keep going. And then like, it's just, now I will say this, the, the second half of it, I thought was brilliant. I didn't think we were ever going to get to see Deku doing his solo hero, Robert Pattinson, Batman thing. No. I assumed that that would be something that would happen in an epilogue. So that was no, lovely and I think, to see. Like, I really enjoyed that. At the very least, like the scale of that battle, uh, that that first the battle of that first half, definitely yeah. like they they show devastation on a scale we haven't noticed. So yes. now it is believable that Deku was going between um, is jumping between abandoned, destitute skyscrapers. Yes, like this, you believe that that is now a world that he is working in. Um. Yeah, but, uh, no, yeah, totally. Like and I like I like his handle on his powers, and I like that character who was like the sharpshooter. Uh, I God. think maybe it's just that, like, because I'm kind of trying to work it out in my head, even though they say it. Maybe it's just that uh, the first five seasons managed to hold off so many big reveals regarding like Sadabi, Deku, like all my all this kind of stuff. And the fact that a lot of the big reveals came compressed in a big action sequence it kind of, I kind of like missed bits of it. It didn't have the weight to... Yeah, like it, yeah. It didn't like, have the time. Like, like yeah. my favourite fight is still the All Might versus uh, All for One because it had a lovely oh. pace of like, okay, the kids are up against him and now we're taking a break doing some backstory. Now All Might's up against him. Now we're taking a break. It kind of had a lovely, like, exciting breathe, exciting breathe thing. I think that the rhythm of that just in the first half was a little bit janky, but I think the second half of the series more than made up for it. Like, oh yeah, and I mean, I think we've actually. I think I was complete. I think we were talking about it uh, last time we were on off the air. Off, yeah, off the air. But the uh, the the fight at the end with Deco with the rest of class A, mm. uh, 
and again, how I was mentioning in the manga, you know, that was a quick pace. Yeah, snappy, uh, like. Snappy, like. They were mentioning all of the times Deku helped them. But in the show, to kind of pad out an episode, they would kind of have cutbacks to yes. when he helped them. And it kind of, that, you know, while they were trying to grapple this person who is completely losing his mind, yes. um, they're, you know, there's a quick minute of like, yeah, but you remember here's this like happy Remember this conversation just, we had in a locker room? Yeah. <laughs> and that, kind of, that cuts pacing, whereas in the manga, it's a mention of it, but they are still in the scene. Yeah. No, um, I get you. And like, it kind of, I'm trying to think of what reference it is, but like, you've got like 20 odd students against Deku and Deku is powerful. So in your head, you immediately go to, okay, these five are going to take him, then these five are going to take him. But it kind of fell into the tropey video game thing of like, all right, this guy's going to talk to you for a minute and then you're going to run. And then this guy's going to yeah. talk to you. Let's all take him one at a time and let's make it nice and fair. You know, it didn't have that sort of like, because Deku with that much power, he possibly could, even though he doesn't want to hurt them, he possibly could take on that entire class. And yeah. you'd love to see the likes of, say, the Invisible One using her resources <laughs> to try and keep up and all that kind of stuff. But it kind of felt like it wasn't a fight, you know? I at least at least in the anime, maybe in the manga, it's different. Like It's very similarly paced, but I think okay. like they, they managed to kind of keep in it a bit more. And again, I, I can't emphasize how much how different it is reading that than it yeah. is than the than a show controlling the pace for you. I like I I burst out laughing when I saw it, but the um when they launch uh oh Ingenium, the glass. Yes, yeah, yeah. When they launch him into the sky, that his face is a page turn <laughs> just like because they they are throwing this boat this boy at terminal velocity i <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's a couple of pages of build up like where about where a bunch of them are getting this up to speed and then you find it's like no there's one person you could talk to him and then it's a page turn and it is his face eyes and mouth just flapping in the wind <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Deku hanging off all might way back yeah. in the beginning yeah uh, and no, and, I, and like, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because like, again, the later end of the season, there were moments that really, really got to me in that way that reminded me like, oh yeah, this is really good. I think Bakugo finally break, breaking down and confessing for lack of a better that he always admired Deku. That was earned by that point. I oh, think definitely. that, oh my God, when uh, Deku is like too, too cool for school with All Might's lunches. That broke my heart, and I had to bring my wife into the room. It's like, oh, they're doing the thing. <laughs> oh no! Like, and like then, you know, it's 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 part of the kind of the 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 lowest point part of this story. Yeah, it's like the entire back third of this sobbing, and like yeah. especially you know there was those, and then Ochako on the uh, on the roof of the school pleading with a crowd of people that don't want to see him to just let him in and go to sleep. Yeah, but again, why was that an entire episode? Like, yeah, no, I suppose. I mean, I get that it's a big moment, but like, we only we only get like 20 of these suckers a year, like, and 13 of them were a fight. Like, so I don't know. Like, I don't mean to be hard on it. Look, I binged it. So it's doing it's still doing something like, you know, but it felt like even just like a restructuring would have made this stronger. Like, I think mean, let's say, let's take the fight again. Like you have that entire episode where it's revealed, like after we found out about Dobby being the son, 
we then spend an, an episode in the hospital with um uh oh my god the names are falling out of my head uh the number the new number one hero fireman I, with rage I literally I, I gestured to those of you listening I gestured as if I was like well of course you mean huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> Angry Fire Daddy until you yeah. hood. So like like we get the flashback to Angry Fire Daddy and like how he lost the son and all that. Uh like after the fight's done. How good would it have been to have just had a break and just actually get the backstory of all that in the middle so we can like appreciate the big reveal and then we can kick off the fight. Like, you know, it just I think if you just rearrange the pieces of this a little bit and maybe cut some of the padding, it would go a long way. It's, you just, end up, a, it's just a structural thing that needs to be yeah, fixed. It's you, not so, awful, like, like. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the sum of its parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, that's enough bashing on anime for now. <laughs> how, how well over are we? Uh, not very. So oh! <laughs> we are just about. So we are, we are out of time. Um, okay. As I mentioned earlier, before the spoiler warning, um, Thank you all for listening. We, you can check us out on all of our socials. Check us out on our feeds on Spotify and the like. Uh, check out our website, nerdsnomedia.com. And also on there, if you, we have a Patreon. And we would always appreciate a couple of bucks thrown our way. Kian, um, <laughs> have you anything else to add? No, no, unfortunately not. Just that I've had a fantastic time being here. And uh, yeah, just give all of our socials uh, a bit of love if you're listening to this. And feel, please feel free to get in contact with us because we always love to hear what people are talking about outside of our sphere of interest. So, yeah, get in touch. Yeah, tell us if you've watched the 1993 Mario movie. And uh, tell us how you felt about watching a human baby come out of an egg. And until then, uh, I'll be playing Tears of the Kingdom, and we will see you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.